If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, or look it up in your phone. In Ephesians chapter 5, we just finished up the Explore God series last week, and before that we were going through the book of Ephesians, and we um, didn't make it all the way through to the fall. So I wanted to come back and finish up chapter 5 um, and the first part of chapter 6 for a few weeks as we wrap that up in this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 through 32, and then specifically verses 31 and 32, but to kind of help us get back into Ephesians, I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 15, then 20 through 33 um, this morning. Ephesians 5, 15 says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies." He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the chance to gather at the beginning of the week. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would just humble us by your word and you would help us to understand your word, that you would encourage us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Over the last uh, number of years, I've had the opportunity and the honor to do a number of weddings for a lot of young people that I got to see grow up. And about nine years ago, um, when I was uh, asked to do one, I I wrote out uh, a wedding ceremony, and I said, marriage is a wonder and it's a work. And I did the ceremony, and then after that, I got asked to do another one, uh, and another one. Um, and a lot of these people knew each other, and a lot of their families knew each other. And I would sit there and think, I should write a different uh, wedding ceremony. I, I always mix it up a little bit. I should put something different in there. But every time I tried to do that, I always came back with, marriage is a wonder, and it is work. And so I stuck with it, and, and nobody remembers it anyway, because uh, I always ask. And, uh, but I'm, I, I say that in these wedding ceremonies, not because I'm lazy, but because I love them, ones the, the people that I marry. And, and I believe that. Marriage is a wonder and it's work. In Ephesians chapter 5, that's where Paul 
has taken us into some real practical things with our lives. And this morning, I just want to look at the wonder of marriage. Paul from Peter, Paul, and Mary sang this song, the wedding song, and in the line it said this, A man shall leave his mother, and a woman leave her home. They shall travel on to where the two shall be as one. As it was in the beginning, is now until the end. Women, woman draws her life from man and gives it back again. And there is love. Some of you may have had that sung at your wedding. But I was looking this up on the 25th anniversary of him singing this on YouTube. They played it, and someone put this, this response to it. And they said, this is what they said after, after listening to Paul sing that. They said, I'm, I'm not a believer, not at all religious. That said, this song is one of the most stunning, beautiful I've ever heard. Why is that a response to that song? It's a very traditional song, but why is that the response to that? And I think the reason, partly why that is the response, is what the book of Ephesians is talking about. The book of Ephesians is to a group of Christians called out into very messed up cultural who had all kinds of different views about everything. And it begins in Ephesians 1 that we looked at with a loving God. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes verses 3 through 10. And in, in, in the Greek, it's one long sentence. It's almost like he's so overwhelmed by the reality of how much God loves him that, that he can't even stop. He's just gushing about how blessed he is in the Father, how much God has loved us. And because of that love, that God brought a new community, it's the body of Christ, he called them together, and it says in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And the church is to gather, and the book of Ephesians is all about how this group of people who are loved by God, called out of a, all these cultures and all these different views and all these different things put into this body to be brought up and to be built up into a new community, to grow up together in the faith. And Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And it's all because we are in Christ. Someone, Marva Dawn, said that the, the, the Christian community is an alternative society. The Christian community is an alternative society. And she went on to say, to be the church, to be the church is to follow Jesus in all the oddness of that calling which is what we are in, in our culture. To, to be the church and to follow Jesus in all the oddness of that calling, that we are, an, we are a counter, alter, we are an alternative society, is what Christianity is. And that's what Paul is talking to a bunch of people in Ephesians who are in a very big city, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of thinking, and he says he calls them out because of the love of God, and he put them together so that they can build each other up, and they can grow up, and they can be this alternative society, and be followers of Jesus, and all the oddness of that calling, and it, that goes directly then to real life practical living, 
And the first three, four cha- verses of, uh, chapters of Ephesians is all this, is, he's laying this foundation of this doctrine. And then he gets to chapter five, and halfway through, and all of a sudden it gets real practical. Like really where we live, marriage, family, work. And how living together as Christians, and how we grow up in Christ together in the real things of life. And one of the areas that we all live with and deal with in, our, in, our, in a culture is marriage. And so he, he, he starts with that. And there, there is a wonder of marriage. There is great wonder, even in our culture, about marriage. Years ago, people said one day marriage is going it, to, no one's going to want to be married. That's not, that's not been proven to be true. And, and it, it constantly changes in the culture when it comes to marriage for many reasons. And right now people are waiting in many ways longer to get married for the first time. I think the average age now for someone to get married for the, uh, is 30 for a guy and 28 for, which is the highest it's ever been in, in our culture. And there's a lot of confusion to marriage. And someone said marriage is the most consuming, overwhelming relationship in the whole world. And that's not a negative. That's just a reality. That's the way God even designed it, I believe. It, it, it is a wonder to us. But we need to look carefully then how we walk, real practically, even into marriage and family and our work. That's why he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What's Christian marriage? Christian marriage, when Paul wrote this in verses 31 and 32, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2. He's going, he's going back to the beginning, talking about marriage, and then he, he, he says, he quotes from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2. And the first thing I just want to point out, Christian marriage is designed by a loving God. Christian marriage is designed by a loving God. If you flip back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God said this about creation. When he created the world, he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. He looked at his creation, and everything he said was good. Then he created man. And when he got to man, after he was done creating man, he said it was very good. It, 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 it even got better. He, it elevated things. He created the animals. It's good. He created hu- human beings. It's very good. And then after that perfect creation, everything's good and very good. God says in Genesis 2 that he's looking around at his creation. And he says it's, it's not good that man should be alone. This was when things were perfect. This was the time of, there's no sin yet. And in this creation where God said things are very good, that's when God looked and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so he made him a helper. He took the rib and he created woman, which means God designed marriage. 
And it was a loving God who designed marriage. He wanted man to flourish. He wanted hum, hum, human beings to flourish and to be everything that they were supposed to be. All other parts of creation were able to do that. And then God looked at human beings and said, wait, they're not able to fully yet flourish. And so he said they need a helper. There needs to be a helpmate. And he created man. God designed marriage And God designed marriage because he's a loving God. And in that marriage design, God is the one who has the guidelines. He said it's a man shall leave his mother and father and join with his wife. It's a man and a woman, God said, is the design for marriage. And it's a gift that's ordained by God because God's the one who performed the first wedding. Humans did not invent marriage. People did not come up with this idea. This was God's idea. God invented it. God designed it. God created it. And God gave it to us as a gift that we are to receive, not to redefine, no matter what anyone else, the state, or anyone else says. It was God's idea. It was God's invention. And that's why I I like what the Book of Common Prayer says, and I use parts of it in every ceremony that I do this is an old version of it, but the common prayer summer, the, the marriage ceremony would say this, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this congregation to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is not by any to be an enterprise nor taken in hand lightly or wantonly to satisfy men's carnal lust and appetites like brute speeds that have no understanding, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God, daily, duly considering the causes from which matrimony was ordained. Why did God ordain it? Why did God design it? First, it was ordained for the procreation of children, to be brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord, and to the praise of his holy name. Secondly, it was ordained for a remedy against sin, and to avoid fornication, that such persons as have not the gift of to not to be single might marry and keep themselves undefiled members of Christ's body. Thirdly, it was ordained for the mutual society, help and comfort that the one ought to have for the other, both in prosperity and in adversity. God created and designed marriage for good. He designed it and he created it and he gave us guidelines for it and all through the Bible it talks about that and it's a gift to humanity, not just the church, not just Christians. And the greatest commentary on marriage that God designed it before the fall is in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 it says and man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed this was how God designed it that in they were both naked that and they were not ashamed Adam and Eve were together before the eyes of God and they didn't have any need to run there was, there was nothing to keep them from flourishing as humans. They were unashamed. They didn't have anything to hide. And they could live that way fully. It was, it was life within the Godhead, and a life that was fully submitted to God. But that's not the way it is now, is it? Which is why it's, it's really hard sometimes to even talk about marriage. Because even in this room, it is the most difficult relationship and situation you can be a part of. And it has caused many of you great pain. 
and is causing some of you great pain, much heartache, either personally or through family situations. And we know this pain. Why why is that? It's because of the fall right after that in Genesis chapter 3 where man decided not to follow God's guidelines. They rebelled and it got broken to pieces. And even marriage and even every relationship and which is why we all do now have reasons to run and hide. And we don't stand before God naked and unashamed. We stand before God, and even with each other, with something we want to cover and hide. But marriage was designed by a loving God. And it's also defined by a loving God, which is why this is a profound mystery. This is what Paul says. It's, he talks about the situation with marriage and says it's a mega wonder. It's a profound mystery how this works and how this can work. And there's some guides, though, to help us know how to, where, what's the purpose of marriage? Not only did God design marriage, he defined it as a loving God, I'm just going to kind of give a quick outline of that. But he, this is how God defines it as you look through Scripture. First of all, he, he defined the purpose of marriage as it was just, it's a covenant between a man and a woman. It's not a contract that we can just uh, decide if you want to fulfill it or not. God designed marriage as a, as a covenant, and, and he gave it so that you can have a deep companion with somebody else, the, the, a, a complementary companion. It, it, not everybody has the, the, the gift to get married. But if you're single, you can enjoy your singleness because you can have a right understanding of marriage. But God gave us marriage for the purpose of this deep companionship. And he gave us marriage and defined it for a commitment. The marriage is to be for life. That's why when Jesus was talking to being challenged in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, this whole one flesh union. He says, so Jesus said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man or let no human separate. God's purpose for marriage is also just for this new creation, which is what Ephesians talked about. There's a change. Every time you get married, I mean, I've been married for 24 years. Because I've been married for 24 years, I'm not the same person I was 24 years ago. Anytime you get married, there is a change. And if you don't change, you're not going to be married uh, very long. That, though, is a good purpose of marriage. There's, there is a, there's, a, there's a change. And Paul's talking about that. There, there's a cleansing element. In Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. There's this, it improves us. I'm a better person because I've been married to Teresa for 24 years. That's what marriage is supposed to do, and she's got a long way to go to get me where I need to be. That was how God defined marriage to be. But because of that, and even in this room, I just want to highlight some, some ditches that we as a church want to 
a void. God designed marriage between a man and a woman to be designed for life. That was God's design. That was God's intention. But we live in a broken, fallen world, don't we? And because of that, there is great pain, even with some of you, that comes with marriage. And so I would just say this when it comes to this. We don't want to dismiss God's plan. Which means by that, if there is a marriage situation, the idea that there's just that marriage can just be broke apart whenever we want and however we want, we don't want to hold to that as a church. We don't hold to that as a church. That was not God's design and intention. That you can just get married when you want and not be married when you want, and that's fine. And that's how you feel. That that was we don't want to dismiss God's plan at all, but we don't want to dismiss God's people either. And some of you have, through the fallenness of this broken world, suffered, the, suffered through divorce, maybe are suffering through divorce, and it's real, and it's painful, and we don't want to dismiss, dismiss you. You're not a second-class person at Cornerstone Church. You're not a second-class person in any way because of that, even as a second-class Christian because of that. Broken things happen in a broken world, so we don't want to dismiss God's people. In a fallen world... Someone said divorce may be necessary, but it is always a tragedy. And someone else said every divorce is the result of sin, but not every divorce is sin. There's a lot that can be said. I just wanted to toss that out and open the conversation. But don't, we don't want to dismiss God's plan, nor do we want to dismiss God's people, nor do we want to disrupt God's process, which God is always working in all of us. This is, what, this is what marriage is. It's a process of always working in all of us. And so to this, when he says to us, hey, grow up together. Grow up together in Christ. We don't want to dismiss God's plan and say, here's what God said, but I really like you, so I'm not going to hold you to what God says. Nor do we want to say, um, wow, you messed up that bad, so I just don't really like you. We don't want to do that. We want to learn how to grow up together in Christ as a church in brokenness and learn how to love people who have been broken and learn how to say things, when to say things, and recognize that we're not going to say things or do things always well. But we need to stay together in the process and grow up together because marriage was Christian marriage designed by a loving God. It's defined by a loving God and Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Christian marriage directs us to a loving God. He said, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage, Paul's saying, is the point of Ephesians is that you would grow up together in Christ. And then he gives us a big picture. Here's the picture I want you to see. Marriage. The way you do it, the image that I want you to see how you grow up in Christ together is marriage. It's a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers, that marriage refers to Christ and the church. It's a metaphor for a deeper and profound picture of truth. And it wants marriage is to help us see something very clearly, and this is what it is. God designed marriage for us to see very clearly the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. There will never be a perfect marriage on this earth. 
There has never yet been a perfect marriage. But there is going to be a perfect marriage one day. When the bride of Christ is presented to Jesus in the end. The Bible starts with a wedding in Genesis and it ends with a wedding in Revelations. The perfect wedding that's taking place is us, the bride of Christ, are being made ready to be united with our groom, Jesus, the Bible says. It's a weird picture for men, but that's what the Bible says. It's a metaphor. That's the metaphor. So marriage directs us to a loving God. Aaron, our son, he wanted a rock tumbler for Christmas, so we bought him a rock tumbler, and he tumbles rocks all the time. The point of the rock tumbler is you take hard, unsmooth, ugly rocks, you put them together, and for 14 days we listen to it all day long. And then after 14 days, you take it out, you wash it off, and they're smooth, and they're beautiful. And God did that picture for us for marriage. We are all rough, ugly rocks. And he designed marriage for us and the church to be brought together, to tumble together, and tumble together, so that we can be smooth. This is the wonder of it. It's a profound mystery. It's, it's a wonder. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, which when it comes to marriage for us, this is what I would say. It's a wonder for you. If you're struggling the real practical parts of life in marriage, which all of us possibly will or are if you're married, the profound mystery, the wonder is that Jesus is the source of our hope. He created it. He designed it. The Bible says that the second person of the Godhead was the designer and creator of the world. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Which means Jesus created marriage, the invisible thing of marriage. So he's the source of it. He's the hope of it. If, if Jesus created marriage, he knows how it's going to operate and how it's going to work. There's hope for that. If we invented it, there's not much hope. But if Jesus created it and he loves us, there's great Hope for us. Jesus is the source of it. The wonder is that Jesus is the solution because Genesis chapter 3 says we are broken. We are all fallen. We all hurt. We all can stumble. We all can go through great difficulties. But this is the gospel. That we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When you're going through difficulties in your marriage, in a struggle, I mean, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to feel like this can never be fixed. And sometimes it can't. And that's the result of living in a broken world. But the gospel says there is a solution. The things might not get perfectly fixed now, but one day they will. Because we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, yet at the very same time, when you're struggling, when you're arguing, when you're going through difficulties with your marriage, when you're creating the mess, you are more flawed than you understand. And at the exact same time that you're creating the mess, as a Christian, 
You are more loved and accepted by God than you could ever dare hope. That's the gospel. That's not because of us. That's because of Jesus. And the third wonder of it all is that Jesus showed up for us. When it comes to marriage, part of being married is just, I think, showing up. A lot of marriages don't survive because one person in that relationship failed to show up. And then both sides, two sinners living together, decide, I'm not going to show up. But somewhere along the line, somebody said, I'm done. I'm not showing up anymore. And we're going to let the consequences tumble. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus always shows up for us. He showed up. He came into this earth. He took on human flesh. He lived the life that we could not live and would not live left to ourselves. And he says, there's hope for you, which means there's hope for, your, for, our, for our marriages. There's hope for our singleness. There's hope for our lives because of this. And this is the picture. This is a mystery. It's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage pictures Jesus Christ and the relationship with the church to help us grow up. So practically, as we walk together as a church with broken people in our own brokenness, past hurts, current hurts, in our marriages, don't pull away. Don't walk away from the church. Don't walk away from people in the church. But because of what Jesus did for us, we, we, we can start together, and we can keep starting together, and we, we, we can struggle through together because of what Jesus did for us, and we can seek the help together, and we, and we can fail together, and we can get up again, and we can stay the course together because it's a profound mystery that's being pictured in the church, and I say it's referring to Christ in the church. Oliver Cromwell, when his daughter was getting ready to get married, he, he wrote her a letter, and in part of his letter, it said this, press on, let not husband, let not anything cool thy affections for Christ. Marriage is a wonder, but marriage in a broken world can often cause us to get distracted from things. We can, we can cool our affections for Christ, but Paul says the mystery of marriage is this, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Don't let your affections for Christ cool. No matter what difficulty you're going through, no matter what hardship you're going through right now, the profound mystery is that Jesus is there for you and he doesn't want your affections to cool for him. And the way we keep reminding ourselves of that is by communion together as a church, growing up and remembering what Christ did for us. Marriage is a wonder, and the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church.